Hello, and welcome to East Africa NGO. I am your host, Patrick Hill. This podcast is sponsored by Team and Faith, supporting women, orphans, and vulnerable children in Uganda and elsewhere in East Africa since 2012. In western Uganda, located in Toro Kingdom, Kabaroli District, is a small hospital that brings healing and education closer to village communities that may be 40 kilometers or more away from the city of Fort Portal. For 20 years, with the support of Friends of Ruanzori, a California-based foundation, the hospital has provided HIV and AIDS prevention and education, prenatal and postnatal care. In recent years, it has added a vocational school, a large children's ward, and is a resource of health care and employment in the area. Joining me now is Kristen Brock, the executive director of Friends of Ruanzori Foundation. It supports the Katojo Integrated Development Association, or KIDA, which operates a small private hospital in western Uganda. Kristen, thank you for joining me today on East Africa NGO. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. It's, uh, I'm excited to be doing this. So how are things going these days at the KIDA hospital? As you know, they are uh, struggling with the COVID outbreak as well. I think one of the fascinating things about Uganda is uh, when we were there last summer, they were just kind of at the tail end of an Ebola outbreak in the Congo, which is bordering right next to Uganda there. So I think as a country, they were much more prepared and they went into a very strict lockdown right away. And the hospital definitely has had some challenges with that. Although, as with most Africans and and Ugandans, I am continually surprised by the resiliency and the innovation of the people there to do what they need to do in the community, no matter what is happening around them. And so, has this impacted the flow of? clients or or patients to the hospital? Are people still making their way there? Many of them, I I guess, come, you know, considerable distance. They'll they'll walk there or something, but, or people staying in place or how has this impacted the the day-to-day operation at the hospital? So it absolutely has impacted the flow. Most travelers who are coming from long distances, as you know, are either walking or using boda bodas, which are what they call motorcycles. Boda bodas are an inexpensive way, relatively inexpensive way for them to travel. And so people were either walking significantly further distances or were not able to travel at all. When they were able to travel, one of the fascinating things to me is how many mothers in labor are hopping on the back of a motorcycle to get to the hospital. But some were able to get to the hospital, have their baby. If it was a cesarean, they didn't have enough money or weren't able to get back to the hospital for post, post-operative care. And so the staff, uh, the doctor, young doctor, would get in his own car, take a nurse, and they would travel out to these rural vi- villages to do some post-ops. So it, it definitely has made it much more difficult in a community where travel is already challenging. Yeah, those, aren't, those wouldn't be the easiest house calls that uh, we might be or might have been familiar with, you know, decades ago here in the U.S. So that, that sounds like some extraordinary measures to uh, get the job done. Absolutely. So KEDA was more or less founded, as I understand it, as, uh, as to provide some critical care for HIV and AIDS patients. There was a clinic that was set up pretty much at your, I guess, existing 
location. Could you talk about how that program, if it, if it's how how it has impacted the community from then to now? It, it I'm sure has been very critical since Uganda was, you know, right at the ground zero of that uh, HIV AIDS pandemic, you know, 20 years ago. Absolutely. So yeah, as you mentioned, Ezra and Marjorie, who run the program in 1999, they bought a plot of land and their dream was to bring HIV prevention, education and medicine to this rural region. And it uh, started literally as a very tiny HIV clinic. Today, just last year, they tested over 1,600 people for HIV testing. 3.3% of those people were positive. They have 500 active clients in their ART program, which is the government actually provides antiretroviral drugs. One of the really unique things that they have done now, so maybe or maybe not surprisingly, their data keeping system is very intense. And much of it is still done in a, in a large notebook. But if I am taking ART, I need to come to the hospital once a month to have a conversation with the counselors and to get my medication for the following month. And with 500 clients, as you can imagine, that was becoming very cumbersome, not only for the staff at HEDA, but for the villagers who it was expensive. If you're, if you're coming from 25 kilometers out and having to take a motorcycle or walk, it's very expensive to get to the hospital once a month. And so most recently, they created a new program where they've created community groups in a particular village or a particular area. And the group may have 10 or 12 people in it. And they have trained that group where each person can come once a year. So one person is coming in January and bringing back all the medication for the entire group. So they're creating really interesting systems to be able to serve more and more people. I think one of the really fascinating things is that what started as an AIDS clinic is now an absolutely enormous community hub. So they now have uh, 46 hospital beds. 16 were just added last year in a separate children's ward. They have a vocational school, which has anywhere between 30 and 50 students every year learning a vocation. These are primarily kids who could not afford uh, regular schooling. So they're now getting educated that way with something to do. They've got close to 100 children. Uh, It's the OVC program, Orphans and Vulnerable Children, that have all, their families have all been affected by HIV, AIDS. And many of them are head of household, but putting all of those kids through school, another 700 or so are getting some type of service through KIDA, either the hospital or the clinics. They've got a SACO program, which is the Savings and Loan Cooperative. That has grown so big that they are now having to move to another building. They started with 58 members in 2007. Last year, they had over 2,600 members in that SACO office a health insurance program that has nearly 2,000 members in it. So what, what started as this very small HIV clinic has grown into a community-wide kind of service between, for health and education. And what's fascinating is not only are people coming to KIDA, it's becoming kind of a hub in the community, but KIDA goes out in the community. Every month they go out and do wellness checks. Last year they did 11,000 
child Mm -hmm. immunizations. Some of those were at the hospital with pre and postnatal, but a lot of them were out in the community when they traveled out into the community to these immunizations. So it's fascinating how it has grown from this simple clinic to an enormous community-based program. That is really wonderful news, a a great success story or a series of them as you're as you're telling us, I, you know, the, the vocational school is, is common in, in parts of Uganda and East Africa because there's not jobs in a traditional sense that we would expect here in the West. You know, there's only so many employers of note. So people, they're, they're better served in many cases to take up a trade, as, as you're saying, and, and get training at a vocational school and become entrepreneurs. And so then they can create their own businesses and then have a a sustainable livelihood. Absolutely. So their training right now, it is bricklaying, carpentry, tailoring, and hairdressing. And so all those are practical skills that are needed in any village setting. And, you know, in getting practical skills like that beats waiting around for an employer to call who may never call if, if you're lucky enough to be able to get to the nearby town in Port Portal or Kampala or wherever it may be going. And then you also talk about other things like the, the insurance scheme that they have um, at the yeah. hospital. And I, I was told about that in one of my visits there. That's sort of a, a, a new concept for many Africans because they may say, well, I'm, I'm not sick. Why should I give you money now when I'm not sick? Well, that's in, in a traditional way of developing insurance. You know, it's the well people who pay for the, you know, pretty much underwrite the, the care for the, the, the sick ones. But it's, it's just a good preventive opportunity for their, for their household finances. And so it's, it's amazing that it's being so well received. now. Absolutely. And last year, 40% of the hospital clients were part of the, the community health insurance plan. So I think one of the really fascinating things is that it's also entrepreneurial in spirit. So these are each of these little plans is run in a village where they get together every month and talk about, let's make sure we're putting our money into this. What does this money need to go to? How can we help support each other? So one of the mm-hmm. concepts of Kitta is not just what can we do for you, but empowering the people to make their lives better. So the vo- whether it's the vocational school or the education we're providing or the health insurance program, all of it is about how can you help yourself to get out of poverty. So as Kita has grown as a resource for the community, it is it's probably also grown as a, a local employer. So, I mean, is there much beyond the medical staff? Is there, can you speak to, you know, how, how it's grown and is it, you know, be from staff from medical staff to some of the school staff or the vocational school and the OVC crew. Is it is it growing that regard too? Absolutely. So you've got you know you've got doctors and nurses and midwives and people who work in the laboratory, but the they've got a full staff team with CFOs and data managers and intake workers, community mm. healthcare workers. So it has been a great source of employment. A couple of the stories that I always love to share may not be that somebody is working at Kita. There is a young woman who came up through the OVC program, graduated from school, went went on to university, and now works back at Kita as a data manager. 
in the local schools, when we went last summer and visited at local schools, there were probably four different teachers who had been recipients of OVC money to get themselves through school and are now giving back in that community um, as teachers. So we're now starting to see generational giving back. If since the program's been around for about 20 years, we're now seeing generations giving back to that, that same community. And I would also say that some of the staff, particularly the medical staff, you know, you are asking someone, I use Dr. Brian as an example, who is a young, very well-educated doctor who had been working in Fort Portal to come out to this rural community. They are making significantly less money than they would working for the government. And they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's not really a social life um, at Kita Hospital, although the, the staff team is very, very close. So you've got a staff team that is making a very, a very strong choice to say, I'm going to make less money. I am going to work somewhere that is very rural and I'm going to give back to this community. So they come with a unique passion for giving back to that community, whether they started there or whether they're coming from somewhere else. Just great to hear this. It's just a, a very good story, that very good picture that you're painting about uh, the growth and the strength of Kita in, in Western Uganda and how it's really um, supported the community and um, lift lives and uh, employ people and heal people. That's a wonderful thing. Now, for your job stateside, you are caretaker over the foundation, the Friends of Renzori. Have there been any unusual challenges due to COVID for, for you as the, as the NGO on, uh, on the state side here in America? Sure. So, you know, as every organization and NGO here, the lockdown created some unique challenges. We, Friends of Renzori, has been in a, we're going into a growth kind of plan Karen Gleason, who was the founder, she and her husband, Gil, about three years ago, unofficially retired, and I became the first paid staff person. And Friends of Rio and Zori was really founded on a group of extremely dedicated people that were friends and family of Karen. And over the last three years, as I have taken this on, we have wanted to grow our donor base. And this year was the year that we were going to be going out and doing more lunch and learns at hospitals to get hospitals to understand what's happening. When I went two years ago, we took a midwife, a woman who had formerly been a midwife at Kaiser Hospital, and she came back and raised all kinds of money from the midwives she knows here, watching what they did. Uh, Last year, Kitta had 430 deliveries, 100 of those, which were cesarean sections. So just understanding what what a different world it was there. So that was one big thing. These All these in-person things that I was going to go out to do got pulled back. And then some things the board were going to do, like house parties and those type of things. We also have a large fundraiser in October every year. And that has is going virtual this year. So the learning curve of trying to figure out, along with all the other NGOs in the country or in the world, what is a virtual fundraiser going to look like? So we decided this year that we're going to take a virtual trip to Uganda, our events on October 18th. And we want everybody who joins us to feel like they get to travel to Uganda for a Sunday afternoon, taking that opportunity. That's really how things have changed as you just look at what normally happens in person with fund development. 
coming up with new and innovative ways to do that uh, virtually. Well, sounds very exciting. If, if people who are listening to this podcast in a timely manner, they want to find out about that, do they just go to your website? How, how could they keep track of uh, the virtual fundraiser? Absolutely. So either our website, which is the friendsofruinsori.com, which it was almost impossible to sound out. Uh, we also have a Facebook page where that information will be posted. Okay. Now for me, it's, it's always interesting to learn when I'm, I'm talking to someone like you or, or others, always interesting to learn when people first discovered Africa. Because mm-hmm. like once you go there, it's many times it's not your only time you go back because it's something just gets in your spirit and in your soul so when did you first get to africa and how did it impact you sure so i was extremely fortunate Um, my dad had a college roommate who ended up being a missionary in rural kenya and my dad had gone back at some point with some other college friends and always wanted to bring his family back So when I was a freshman in high school, my family got to go to Kenya, a little town called Gatab, which is about a little over 300 miles north of Nairobi. So really in the middle of nowhere. This was in the 70s uh, without dating myself. And I don't think at the time I recognized what an impact it would have on me as a a 15-year-old. But I do recall... As you said, there is something that really gets into your soul when you visit Africa. And all you can think about is when, are, when do I get to go back? And I, I have mm-hmm. since thought quite a bit about that. You know, is it the sights? Is it the sounds? Is it the smells? So yes, it is all of that. But when I went back to Uganda, I recognized it's the people. There is something about the people of Africa that is unlike anywhere I have been in the world their generosity, their spirit of gratefulness, their joy in situations where most Americans would say, how do you live like this? They mm-hmm. live with a just such a sense of joy. And I think that's what I recognized is that when this job opportunity came along, it was kind of a dream come true to be able to say, oh my gosh, I get to work for an organization that will allow me to go back. This past summer, I was able to take my middle child back with me. And he was the same age I was when I first went and, and hoped to bring my other two boys at another time. But it really is, you know, it's kind of, as you know, it's hard to put into words. <laughs> what a yeah, trip and, and, and it must have been tough when you did it in the 70s. There were no cell phones. No. So, I mean, <laughs> there wasn't much in the way of instant communication, which, and then, you know, I got to thinking about the, the first people who would go over there or the, the, the first Americans that I knew about who were there well, they were later than the 70s, but let's say 70s and earlier, to get messages back and forth to home is was was no uh, simple matter. It would take yeah. it would take weeks, and then if you think about the the very first, you know, just a- almost ancient times, it would take months to get yeah. news back and forth across these vast oceans and and across you know half the continent, especially if you're arriving on the west western side of uh, the African continent. These days. You know, with the internet, such as it is in uh, in Uganda and East Africa, but you have the internet, you have the cell phones. You know, it's 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 changed. It's been a real game changer to get instant communication, instant transfer of, of funds if need be. It's uh, it's it's really been a, a a helpful change. Absolutely. I mean, I I WhatsApp with Marjorie, who who runs the OVC program, Ezra's wife 
um, weekly. And we can just, I can ask her a quick question if I'm putting out a newsletter. She sends me photos and stories and keeps me up with all the kids. Uh, that, that's just something that couldn't have happened. So it makes running a foundation that our, our sole existence is raising money to send to them. Um, it makes it so much easier because I can communicate with our donors in a much more timely manner. Um, just ask Marjorie, hey, I need, a, I need a story about a kid. And she can immediately send me a photo and a quick story on WhatsApp. Glad to hear it and glad to hear that uh, the hospital is making such an impact in the community. And um, it's really a wonderful thing. So again, thanks for uh, joining me on uh, East Africa NGO. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Ezra gives you his greeting. The Reverend Ezra Musabosi. Yes. I, remember, I remember him well. <laughs> a good man. That was Kristen Brock, Executive Director of Friends of Ruanzori Foundation, which supports Kita Hospital and Kabaroli District in Western Uganda. You can learn more about Kita and the upcoming virtual fundraiser at friendsofruanzori.org. Thank you for listening today. If you are able and interested, make a donation to support our projects involving women, orphans, and vulnerable children. Visit our website at teaminfaith.org. I'll be back again soon to introduce you to another organization that is helping our brothers and sisters in East Africa. For East Africa NGO, I'm Patrick Hill.